0: Engaging conversation on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by
1: Priests for Life. Well, hello, I'm Janet Marana, the Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program. Have any of you ever thought, what is it like working in the abortion industry? Well, joining me today is a very good friend of mine, Father Pavone's, and she used to work in the abortion industry. She used to manage abortion clinics down in Texas, but she had a conversion. She left that abortion industry business, and now she's 100% pro-life, and she actually works in uh, the world of pregnancy help centers to help women choose life. This is going to be a powerful show. We're going to get a really look inside the abortion industry because it's not good what you're going to hear about the abortion industry. But it hopefully will wake some people up. So joining me today is a dear friend of mine and our ministry, Carol Everett. Welcome to our program, Carol. Thank you, Janet. It's
0: so good to be with you. Thank you for all you do for life.
1: Well, and thank you, too. Well, let's go back for everybody. Okay, Um, tell us what year it was. And how did you first find yourself managing an abortion clinic?
0: Well, I had an abortion and uh, my life fell apart around me. There was nothing I could do to justify that decision. And, and uh, I found something that did telling other women to have an abortion. If she was okay, just in some twisted way, perhaps I was okay. And I evolved into the abortion industry working for a man who owned four abortion clinics. I was in medical supply sales in Dallas And he owned four abortion clinics. He saw one that came online that was very profitable that did not ask for discounts, saw the profitability, opened four. So at one point he called me and said, Carol, they need help today. Would you go over and manage this clinic for the day? And I never left. I never left. And, and sadly, I was able to sell more women abortions.
1: Yeah. So you, you just went over real quickly that you yourself had an abortion uh, if you could tell everyone a little bit about those circumstances, because obviously that's what led you into the abortion industry. So what what was the circumstances that you felt? I, I really have to have this abortion. And what year were we like where in the timeline?
0: It's two weeks after Roe v. Wade. 1973. Wow. And um, I, I'm not the typical person we think of, which, of course, now, Janet, we know. None of us are typical, but I was married and had two children, but I, it was a second marriage and there had been an agreement, there would be no more children. So uh, I had promised before I got married that I would never have another baby and, and actually said I would have an abortion if I got pregnant, never expecting to get pregnant, of course. And when I found myself pregnant, the choice was my husband or my baby. And uh, I made the wrong choice. And the moment, Janet, the moment I woke up, I I had a hospital abortion, anesthesia, everything, because it was right after Roe. They weren't certain that the hospital would allow it, so I took the father's urine in for the pregnancy test. So it was kind of, it was a lie all the way around. And the moment the anesthesia wore off, my first thought was, I'm a murderer. You know, you can't call your mother or your best friend and say, I'm depressed, I just killed my child. I expected the father to share that grief, he didn't. and I became very angry at him. He said we'd made the best choice we could. And and my choices started, I instantly started questioning my choices and started acting out toward him. And, uh, and, and everything in my life changed everything. I, I know you know that, but you know, I started overprotecting my son, believing the child's life I took by abortion was a male. And I started abusing my daughter, not understanding all the significance of that. And, uh, Self-punishing in many ways, and of course, divorced my husband very quickly.
1: Wow! You know, we—I know that your story is not alone. I know from dealing with the women from who go through Rachel's Vineyard and Silent No More. The story of what you're saying is, you know, you really weren't having that abortion because of oh, freedom of choice. Like you said, two weeks after Roe. But because your husband had made this agreement with you entering into the marriage, like, OK, listen, <laughs> we don't want any kids. Um, sounds to me like you had failed contraception, which is very common uh, yes. for women who end up having an abortion. Contraception fails. So abortion becomes the out card then. And then we always tell people that you know your life will change when you realize what you've what has happened. And very often, the man that got you pregnant—in your case, it was your husband. In a lot of these cases, the girl it's their boyfriends. The the relationship dissolves; it breaks up because you're so upset with the guy that you know he kind of it kind of he made you made you do it. Basically, I mean, he could have taken a, a, a different approach here because he could have said, well, Carol, I know we said we weren't going to have any children, but you are pregnant now. So let's just deal with this and have this baby. That that could have been one response, right? That he could have given yes. you, but he didn't. He, he went down the road of yeah. Okay. Like let's, 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 we don't want kids. So let's you, you deal with it. You deal with it. I, I just have a quick question. Did he take you to the hospital and, and be with you? Or did you go by yourself?
0: he took me to the hospital because he had to supply the urine when they came for the pregnancy test. I wonder if he would have gone if, if not for that, but he went to the hospital and uh, he, he was there when the uh, abortionist came out to tell him I was okay. Ah, okay. But Janet, there's, you've, you've talked about so many things because you and I know way too much about this now. Uh, But he later came to me and said, I wonder what would have happened if we'd had that child. But what I wanted, so what I think instinctively women want, we want that man to cover us. We want him to protect us. We want to be protected. And we did, he didn't, I didn't care for him. I I mean, it was over for me In my moment of need, he was not there. Even if he was physically at the hospital, he he did not protect me the way I needed.
1: That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now that happens. And, you know, to, to, Notice what happened with your children, right? You know, with your son, you became almost like a helicopter mom, hovering, hovering, hovering. But for some reason with your daughter, you kind of were pushing her away from you. And um, how long did it take, you know, of, of this till you realize, oh my gosh, you know, I need help. I have to, or did you first get involved in the abortion industry and that came much later?
0: I denied for 13 years. I actually could not tell. I was in the abortion industry selling other women abortions, but I could not tell any of them that I'd been bad enough to have one myself. Wow. And uh, I, I denied my own situation for 13 years until actually until I became a Christian and started understanding what I'd really done. Wow. And, and 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 even at that point, Janet, not really understanding what it had done to my children in my life that took much longer to understand. I had to go through, forgive, you know, the whole post-abortion syndrome situation. I had to go through healing and I had to look at it from a different side before I was able to say to my children, I'm sorry.
1: Right. And that, that is a whole journey, but let's look at the abortion industry for a minute. Now you said the abortionist suddenly said, Hey, Carol, come on in. I want you to run this abortion clinic. Um, Tell us what it was like running an abortion clinic and what were the conditions and, you know, kind of what was it like on a day to day business when you get up every day and go in there and sell abortion?
0: Well, the first thing was I looked at the books and I knew you could I could change the techniques they were using on the telephone, the marketing techniques and double the business, which I did. I doubled the business in four months, but I changed the telephone script. I changed everything. So we sold abortions on the telephone. And then I didn't have enough. We were only doing abortions a couple of days a week. There were, we were operating two clinics in the Dallas-Fort Worth area out of one telephone bank. And so I recognized very quickly we could do more abortions if we had more doctors. So we recruited more doctors. And I believe that this sums it up in a way that I have never told anyone this before. But we had a girl that worked in Central Supply, and Central Supply is where the baby's bodies went right after the abortion. And this girl's job was to put the baby's bodies back together, make certain all the parts had been removed, because if you leave a little arm or a leg, I know this is graphic, if you leave a little arm or a leg, you have an infection later. So you have to be certain that she has, that everything's been removed before she leaves the clinic. So while she's in recovery, you double check to make certain that all the parts have been removed. And this girl put them back together and she came in the back door one day and said to me, I quit. Last night, all of those babies were lined up on the sink with their little legs crossed like little cherubs chanting at me. And I cannot do this anymore. Wow. That's what it's like inside the abortion business. You know, you're dealing with death. You know that that baby is alive because you, you see it. And this is before ultrasound. You see the baby body parts. You, you know you're lying to the girl when you say it's not a baby. You know you're lying to her when you tell her it doesn't hurt. And that doctor goes in. He knows what he's doing. So there's chaos all through the abortion clinic. No one gets along. The doctors fight, the nurses fight, the counselors fight, everyone argues. I had one girl chasing another down the hall with an exacto knife. These were employees. She was going to kill this employee, was going to kill another employee. Um, it's just horrible in there. And you don't realize it. I didn't realize it when I was in it, Janet. I didn't see it that way. I thought that's that was happening everywhere. Obviously, it's not. But um, I didn't understand... How terrible it was until I was out. Wow. But then there's something else we don't talk about that we need to talk about, and that's instruments. Okay, we had 21 sets of instruments. If we had 50 people scheduled tomorrow, how are we going to get through with just 21 sets of instruments? And so for the first 21, you have sterilized instruments. Yes, they are sterilized in the beginning, and then you start turning them so fast because those doctors want to do 10 to 12 abortions an hour, 10 to 12 first trimesters an hour. And so you have one or two doctors working pretty soon you're out of instruments. So what do you do? Well, that girl in Central Supply washes the instruments. She doesn't have, at first she puts them in the sterilizer and sterilizes them. So when they come out, they're very hot. So even the doctor can't pick the instruments up. So he uses four by four sponges as a as a hot pad, as a heating pad, I mean a, a potholder. And he then does the abortion. So he's he's using this instrument that would sear anything, even his hand. And he's searing that woman's cervix as he dilates it. Think about the damage we did to those women just with hot instruments. And then you get to the point that you can't sterilize them that fast because you're into to the end. So they just drop them. They clean them, drop them in side supposed to stay in there for a long time. They leave them in there just long. It's also a terrible, terrible, uh, no medical clinic operates that way. No ambulatory surgical facility would operate that way. Yet this is the most commonly performed surgical procedure in the nation. Second only to circumcision. Women's lives are at risk every day in an abortion clinic. Of Infections. Wow. And, 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 and then in most states... They abortion doesn't fall under any other medical medical standards unless the state has taken the time to regulate them. So they may not have hot water. They may be using rusted instruments. Who knows what all is going on? And who knows what the infections are when they leave because there's no follow-up care. Abortion clinics are not there for follow-up care. They're there for a one-time visit.
1: Yeah. And then, Carol, um, I know by the testimonies of the women, this is a fact, but you could also elaborate more. Um, The women, when they come to the clinic, they're kind of basically shuffled through. Uh, There's really no in-depth medical history taken or questions. Like if you go to a doctor first time, you should get six pages of stuff to fill out about what medications you're on and all this stuff. Have you had this illness and that illness? Abortion clinics, no. But then the abortions themselves, the women don't see that abortionist because they're already on that table and he just comes in. They don't even know his name and he comes in and does the abortion and leaves. Isn't that true? I mean, and like what, what person lets a doctor touch them that they haven't met with them ahead of time to know what was going to happen in the surgery, right?
0: It always irritates me when they say this is between a patient and her doctor, her physician. Uh-uh. No, they've never met that doctor. He wants to do 10 to 12 an hour, remember? So he wants to run in. He wants her up on the table prepped and ready. I mean, he wants her draped and he wants to just go in, sit down, do that abortion and run across the hall. So he's not going to take time to talk to her. And you're right, there's no medical history. They ask him to fill out a form and they ask him a few questions. There's no in-depth medical history. There's no psychological evaluation. There's a sales technique, even in the counseling for abortion clinics. And so now she's going into this room with this doctor. She doesn't know. How many lawsuits has he had? How many women has he killed? How many uteruses has he perforated? She knows none of that. Again, the shame of uh, being pregnant outside of wedlock, even today. There's a shame that the abortion clinic uses. So she goes in and submits herself to this. He does the abortion quickly. She hears the suction machine and he is gone. He is gone. He's gone on to the next one.
1: Right. And of course, for her, she she stays in the abortion clinic for about an hour, right? Sometimes cookies, juice or whatever. But there's no pain meds given to her prescription, no antibiotics. I mean, when you think about it, any other surgery you have, you you get to talk to the doctor afterwards you get some pain meds you get uh usually antibiotics to take you know prescriptions to fill and you get a follow-up appointment and abortion clinic zero right nothing
0: well, a, there is something there's the that's the resale room now remember they want her to be a repeat patient we wanted three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18. so they're going to give her the birth control pills and they're going to say something to her like okay We know you don't want to be here again. So on Sunday, start taking this pill. You'll never have a period on the weekend. So you'll never get pregnant again. The problem is they give her a low dose birth control pill with a high rate of pregnancy because remember, this is the resale room. So yes, they give her the birth control pills, tell her how to take them, give her the low dose pill that she doesn't take accurately so it doesn't work. And before you know it, she's doing her repeat abortion
1: and she's back. All right. So you basically worked in the abortion industry like this, you know, making a great business for this abortionist uh, with several clinics and all these doctors for how many years? And then what was the thing that got you to the point where you said, I can't do this anymore? Like that girl you described. How did that that journey happen?
0: Well, at first I asked him to allow me to be a partner because I would more than double his business and he wouldn't. So I took his best abortionist that I'd recruited. And uh, we started our own clinics and we had two clinics, uh, with plans to open three more to surround the Dallas Fort worth area with abortion clinics, because Janet, my commission was $25 for each abortion. I wanted to be a millionaire. 40,000 abortions would make me a millionaire. And that was my goal. And we were moving toward that, but through all that chaos, we needed help to solve the internal problems to be able to open three more because you can, you wanted to pop them open. You wanted to be profitable. You wanted it to pay for itself the first month in order to do that. We needed help. And we called in a man who was a business counselor who was to help us solve our problems, except he came in with a little different uh, agenda. He was a pastor and he shared Christ with me and I never thought it would change my life, but it did. I came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and I left in July 1983. Wow. There's a lot to that story. We were caught attempting to do a, by a CBS affiliate, the television station in the area, attempting to do abortions on women who were not pregnant, and that was my answer. Because every week, we were putting a girl in the car who had to have a hysterectomy, a colostomy, and one woman bled to death. And we were taking them across town to a hospital that would help us in the cover-up. Not the one that was closest to us, not the one that was closest to the abortion clinic that might take the best care of her, but we took them to a hospital. We knew the press would not find once a month, one out of 500 women. And then suddenly we were caught doing abortions on women that were not pregnant. I just couldn't do it anymore.
1: Wow. And so, what would I, I bet you remember the day, the date that you literally walked out and said, I can't do this anymore. But then what did you do? I mean, how did you get that feeling of real healing and reconciliation? I mean, tell us that.
0: Well, I, first of all, I was blessed. I didn't know it, didn't have enough sense to know it. But uh, the man and woman who led me to Christ discipled me, they spent time with me every day. And they were not doing psychology although she is a psychologist they were answering every question with scripture and every day I'd say I'm scared and they'd say God didn't give us a spirit a of fear but a power and love and a sound mind. and so I started applying scripture to my life and I found Psalm 139 where we're so clear that babies are a gift from God and they're ordained from the moment of conception by the Lord and uh, I had to deal with that and first John 1 9 tells me if I repent and confess of my sins. He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And Janet, I had to take those scriptures to heart because 35,000 abortions, one woman dead, 19 women maimed. Uh, The last 18 months I was in the abortion business. Um, Yes, I had to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins because I couldn't make it any other way. And then, of course, I had to believe Romans uh, Eight1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I could understand that I had been forgiven because of the scripture, but forgiving myself was another entirely different world because I believe we as women who've had abortions know that we've we've sinned against God, we know we've taken the life of something only our body can create. We no, understand we took the life of our child. And forgiving ourselves, is I'm not going to tell you I've completely forgiven myself now because you live with it forever. And, uh, and you always, always wonder, what if? So I go on, but my goal, just like yours, Janet, is to tell other women, to help other women make the life-affirming choice. And when they make that choice for their baby, they make it for themselves. They're not only saving their baby, they're saving themselves from the horror of what we've endured. And so um, I could tell you a long story about what God did at, at, in my wilderness, but I had to learn. I had to walk through that he forgave me and to forgive myself
1: right?
0: as much as I could.
1: And, you know, I think... In your case, like you said, you had an abortion, which is one heavy trauma to learn to forgive yourself. But then you had to also grapple with the fact that, you know, you sold abortion to countless other women. And so you you had to come to terms with, you know, again, you knew the Lord forgive you even for being in the abortion industry and convincing other women to kill their babies. But you still had to reconcile well, how many abortions was I responsible for? and how, I mean that's a that's another whole healing journey, isn't it?
0: Yes, it is, it is. and um, and and you blame yourself and then you you're walking in a a store and you meet a woman who looks at you and says, "You're that woman from the abortion clinic. And it's not like I walked away and and somehow in my heart could forgive myself or could walk or, or accept the Lord's forgiveness. I had to meet those women and, um, and talk to them one-on-one. And when you when you walk in there, the interesting thing is, of all the women I met, and I don't have any idea how many I've actually walked into, but I've met one who said, you're the woman from the abortion clinic. And I reached out to her and I said, I'm so sorry. And she backed away and said, no, no, it's I needed to do that. And so all I can do is just pray for her that she will understand and come to forgiveness and, and be free again, because as long as we have that, we're in bondage. And so um, I don't live in Dallas anymore, so I don't meet those women daily, but you know, I met one in, in West Texas. So you never know what who's gonna walk into your life and you're going to have a moment to uh, grieve with them and apologize.
1: And, and you know, I don't know if you know um, <clears throat> Dr. Philip Nay. He's a very good friend of mine and Father Pavone's, and he established a, a program for former people involved in the abortion industry called the Society of Centurions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and the one thing I know um, Dr. Nay has always recommended um, for people who worked in the industry is to every day get like a, a little journal and memorialize one child each day and try to give them a name and pray for that child so that you're putting a humanity back onto that child that was lost because of you being responsible. Um, Have you ever tried something like that? Because I know for some people who are in the abortion industry, they find that very helpful because it it, it helps them get to that deeper level of forgiveness for them to forgive themselves when they begin to put the humanity back on their children.
0: Well, I haven't done the daily thing because I when I learned about that, I thought thirty five thousand I'll never get there, but the the women the women that I remember taking to the hospital, the women I remember the women i not the babies, and that's the one I pray about and and then again, the one that I walk into the store and 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 meet and uh, and I think it's amazing that um I've met the worst. Of the were the worst things we did to people, like the girl that had the colostomy that we lied to and told her it was an abdominal pregnancy. I've met her. And so um, and I've met people that I didn't remember until I saw them or they saw me. So that that's how I pray about it and how I walk through it., yeah. and
1: and you know that is beautiful, Carol, that you are doing that kind of reconciliation work for yourself and for those women, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, of course uh, we, we have just a short time left but about this whole thing, but the good side of this whole story is after going through all that trauma, all that horrible stuff of being in the abortion industry that has led you now to helping women in pregnancy resource centers, right?
0: That's the joy. Now I get to help women choose life I I love to stand beside them when they see their ultrasound, when they see their baby and they go, oh, my baby, and they start the bonding process. But the other thing is, Janet, that's Psalm 139 in color. When you see that baby on that ultrasound, it's God saying this is life and I have a plan for this baby. And yes. yes.
1: And of course, you're now the president of the Heidi Group, which is a bunch of pregnancy centers there in Texas, right?
0: Well we we actually don't have a network, but we work with pregnancy centers all over Texas and the nation and uh, we are now working to start new pregnancy centers in unserved counties in Texas. So we have 12 working right now, and I've never had more fun in my life. It's just it's so exciting to see it from the from the very beginning uh, as it develops and starts saving lives daily.
1: Well, thank you, Carol, you know, for joining me on the program today. And I want our our, uh, listeners to know that you're going to be back. We're going to do another program. We're going to really delve into now that we've covered the abortion industry, horrors and trauma that people have to be mindful of. We're going to go forward next time, next time you visit me, uh, part two of this program where we talk about the work of the Pregnancy Center. So, Carol, thank you for your courage and your witness. God bless you.
0: Thank you, Janet, for all you do. Bless you.
1: Well, brothers and sisters, thank you for joining us today. And if you know someone who's been in the abortion industry that needs healing, go to societyofcenturians.com, societyofcenturians.com. You know someone who's heard from abortion. Abortionforgiveness.com is where they can find help. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, this is Janet Marana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. God bless.